Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of October 19th. I'm D-Swab, Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of Kevin Kovac, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And Kovac, 19 years old, $100,000 Richard, lead flag to flag at one of the biggest races we have in our sport, the Dirt Track World Championship. Bloomer praise afterwards. Quite the effing weekend for the young Georgia driver of Garrett Smith. Wow, all I can say. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Youngest dirt track world championship winner ever. Uh, beats Brandon Shepard by a year. And Brandon was 20 back in 2013 when he won it for the first time. Uh, I mean, it, and it's what the amazing thing here about Garrett Smith. It's I mean, he just started running a super late model last year. He'd been running a crate. Uh, he did kind of break out and, and get known when he had a second place finish uh, to Jonathan Dabboy. He led the uh, at the world going finals to Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, he let me. He got some good praise from uh, from Davenport after that race. That JD was like, man, it kid was pretty good. You know, I mean, he really impressed me the way he raced. Um, and then he he had a, he did a lot of traveling this year. Got to a lot of different places. Got a lot of experience. He has Cody Mallory, former Scott Bloomquist crewman, you know, working with him. So he has an experienced guy. And but he only had one full fledged win, two wins if you count the uh prairie dirt classic semi feature yeah i mean it's it's a uh, you know it's it's a broken down rate you know it's not yeah, like for sure the entire field you know i mean it's basically a glorified heat with money but still i mean it is it's a bigger deal uh so he had that and he won a race at tri-county with the spring nationals back in april that's it super late model wins two wins and then he goes and wins a hundred thousand dollar dirt track world championship crown jewel that I don't think has ever happened in a crown jewel. I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody who only had two wins in a super late model that went and won a crown jewel event. Uh, that's pretty darn amazing, you know, uh, uh, to be able to pull that off. And, and he just did a great job. I mean, like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people thought I, 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 I is in my mind, ah, he won't, he'll start in the pole, but doing a hundred laps at, uh, you know, at, uh, at, at, at Portsmouth, even if it rubbers up, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's tough for an inexperienced driver to to hold on through that. But he did exactly what he needed to do in traffic. That's what was so impressive, that he actually just backed off. He followed Scott Bloomquist, you know, said, hey, do not deal with lap cars. Back it up a little bit. Don't worry. They're not going to pass you on the outside if you leave space between a lap car and you. And he did that perfectly to a T, you know, during that long green flag stretch and held on and, and, and won the race. Pretty, pretty good job. Yeah, 100 laps. I don't care how the racetrack conditions were. Talked to Garrett Smith yesterday with Turbo on Suave Talk. He was just like tickled to death. All the information that uh, Scott Bloomquist was giving him. And oh, by the way, people listening at home, he's not going to Scott Bloomquist racing because he said that was like the one thing that people were Facebook messaging him. People were texting him. He said, yo, Garrett, I heard you're driving for Bloomquist next year. We can throw that out the window. He's not racing for Bloomer Nation. So all you people on social media and your trolls, uh, give the kid a break. He was uh, just celebrating a big-time win, and it's pretty cool to get a Hall of Fame uh, words of wisdom, you should say, from Scott Bloomquist. And, oh, Kovac, what do you got from that? Because I'm sure hey, Bloomer probably gave about some good that. quotes too. <laughs> oh, yeah, just a mention about that with Bloomquist and, uh, and, and Garrett. I mean, they're, it's obviously he doesn't run a Team Zero car. He runs a rocket car. Uh, but Cody Mallory's shop is three miles from – Bloomquist shop and uh, Bloomquist said that Cody 
well, often, and that's where the cars, all the equipment is often uh, for Garrett Smith. That's where it's maintained. So uh, often, you know, he'll just say, Cody will just say, you know, go down and talk to Scott, ask him a question about driving. You know, if you have a question, it's only three miles away. And that's what he did. That's kind of how he's gotten his uh, relationship with Scott. It's not a chassis builder uh, driver relationship. It's just a, you know, Hey, there's this resource down the street. That's a superstar hall of famer knows a lot. Got to ask him. And, and like everyone says, Garrett's a really good kid and he's asked him questions and, and then he, and, and Scott, you know, helped him out at the racetrack too. Just to, you know, if, if he, if Scott likes you, Hey, gives you a chance and uh, to help you out. And that's, so I just want to point that out too, that it's not like it's some uh, business deal. It's more of like a friendly deal. And, and Scott wasn't taking credit for the win. He just said he helped. Oh no. Him. Yeah, for sure. Um, Scott Bloomquist, two favorite people right now is Kevin Kovac and Garrett Smith. So way to be on that Mount Rushmore there, Kevin, you know, just uh, good stuff from Bloomquist as always. Kyle, you were in the pit area. Garrett Smith, we've seen him have good runs before. He's usually good early in the night, but what was the vibe when he's, Winning, the track starts to latch down, talking to different drivers. Just what was the mood when Garrett Smith's winning? Because I was at home watching. I'm like, damn, this is pretty damn special for a kid this young to show out at a PRP to get $100,000. Yeah, I was actually watching off in turn three in the final laps of that race. And you see Tim McCready go to second. And I'm I'm thinking at that point, well, here we go. You know, T-Max saved the stuff, I guess. and uh Garrett's gonna get uh some kind of challenge here from Tim McCready and for that to never really happen I mean you know I talked to 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 Tim McCready after that race and you know I had watched Garrett pretty closely I mean everybody did throughout those 100 laps and he only made one mistake um from like what I saw and that was like with six laps to go Missed the bottom going into three, pushed it a little too wide coming out of four. And Tim had closed the gap. It was like five car lengths to two or three at that point. Never altered uh, down the stretch from there. So, and I asked Tim McCready, you know, what uh, he thought Garrett's race, uh, you know, just his race craft and the way that he had managed that race. And, and Tim said the same thing. He had gone back to the, just that one mistake. He, he only made one mistake. And I think just as Kevin mentioned it, I mean, it is, you know, statistically and looking back to obviously Garrett Smith started his super late model career last fall, I think. And, you know, to, to have the run that he did at the world finals versus Jonathan Davenport, I was there and uh, it was like, who is this this kid and and then flash forward a year later and it's like is he really going to do this is he really going to lead all 100 laps and you're just kind of i'm kind of looking around at, at at the people in the turn three grandstands and the people lingering around me and 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 i think people are are amazed honestly i mean i am kevin is it seems and uh just everybody is just kind of uh not surprised. I don't want to say surprised because following him very closely this back half of the season, I mean, he's had, you know, he's great speed, you know, speed that you can't really overlook off the trailer. And obviously a 100 lap race is, is a completely different beast. No matter where you race at after Tyler County or at the Hillbilly hundred a few weeks ago, I mean, he started 
outside the top five on a track that was seemingly super difficult to pass. And he had made his way to second um, in the middle stages of that race before he had a flat tire. And uh, he was challenging Larson there for the win. And then obviously back at the world, I mean, he was fourth in, in, in points, fourth in prelim points before the, uh, the wheel got him and, and that invert, the six car invert, you know, buried him in his heat. And he couldn't quite uh, make the moves that Jonathan Davenport and, and Chris Madden did to get on up and, and get himself a good starting spot in the world 100. So he's shown signs and he's shown flashes that, if he's able to lay down the consistency and able to match the boys with his speed, that that certainly is possible. Now, for him to do it is a completely different. I mean, it's it's it'll be interesting to see really where he goes from here. I mean, uh, I asked Garrett after that race you to know, put like, pressure on him a little bit. Where, you know, like you win yeah, this big like, race so young, and you're like, uh oh, you know, maybe right. I'm gonna think about it more. Right. Just like, what does this do for your career? And he's just like, I don't know. Like he was like, he has no idea, you know, what this is really going to do for his career. I think, you know, he obviously has the as a 19 year old and he gets a lot of flack on social media that his dad owns the car and this and that. And I think it's just ridiculous that, you know, that if I'm a parent and I have the means to give my kid an opportunity to go and race. And I have the the network to hire Cody Mallory and obviously, you know, the financial means there too. And you know that you can locate him in an area, locate Garrett in an area where he's only a few miles away from Scott Bloomquist. Why, why would it like, it's just, you give your kid an opportunity to make a career for himself. And he's taking advantage of that. It's not like he's running over people out there. He's, not like he's going about it in a way that's pretentious or arrogant and nobody's had a no nobody in that pit area that I have talked to has a bad word to say about Garrett Smith. And yet on social media, you know, fans and, and whatnot who probably have never even met the kid, you know. Um I talked to Cole Perkins who runs his social media and I put out that story on Garrett after he won the poll and Garrett said every other message he gets is either good job or daddy's money. It only fuels the fire for him that he just wants to go out and prove his worth. So he did that on Saturday. Where it goes from here, I have no idea, but it's shown here this back half of the season, this season in general. I mean, his first full season in a super late model, he ends, ends the year as a dirt track world champion. I mean, that is remarkable to me, and he certainly set himself on a high trajectory, and I would only imagine, I mean, that carries in, into next year. and. We'll have to see what happens from here forward. I mean, it's it's good for the sport, in my opinion, to to have a 19 year old perform the way he is. I mean, it, it only uh, it just only adds to a sport that we have now that is so rich in star power. So we gave him a shirt idea yesterday because he was telling me about all those messages about daddy's money. He's going to make sure to say not daddy's money, but Carl Short's money. So uh, that'd be a great shirt idea. I would definitely buy one of those. So uh, congrats to Garrett Smith. But. What I think is just kind of so shocking, Robert, is other than like Bobby Pierce winning the World 100 and other crown jewels in the teens, you know, Sheppy at 20, you look in the history of this sport, there is a couple out there, but it's something that doesn't happen very often. And for him that young 
you know, to win that race, lead wire to wire is pretty remarkable in my mind. You've been around the sport for a long time. Yeah, we've seen Bobby do it, but am I right about that? It doesn't happen too often, does it? Yeah, it really doesn't. But before I've got to address a couple things. First, I don't want uh, Kevin's inbox getting blown up, uh, you know, by by saying that uh, uh, Garrett, you know, he can't remember of another person who's, you know, only late model win or whatever, you know, a crown jewel, or whatever. Uh, you know, we can't forget about Jared Landers winning the topless, you know, 100 in 2010. That was his only it was only his second late model win ever. And his first super late model victory, uh, that was uh, you know a crown jewel, and that was uh, out still there twelve years. You have to go way back, which is just crazy 40, how our sport is in general. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying it, it's it's it is a rarity for sure. I just don't want, like I said, Kevin's inbox to like catch on fire. You don't want him to get uh, spanky after, after this, you know, because because uh, Landers, you know. Uh, I think before his topless 100 victory, Landers' only win in any kind of late model was in a crate late model earlier in the year at Batesville. Uh, and if you also remember, Larry uh, Landers finished fourth uh, prior to that, like in 2009, Landers did finish fourth in the World 100. So uh, another, uh, of course, Landers was 28, not 19. I think that's one thing that definitely separates, like, you know, kind of what you're mentioning there with the age. That's Definitely the one thing that really separates Garrett Smith, you know, from from that uh, is the fact that he is so, so young. And and another catchphrase that Kevin likes, and it's it's perfect for this one, man, is fresh faced. Uh, this kid is fresh. This is a fresh faced kid right here, man. And and uh, and that's that's just a fact. Uh, so to see him get this win. You know, my blog this week that uh, will come out on Thursday doesn't really go into depth about Garrett Smith's victory or what he had to do to get that win, but kind of a, a look at how it's not rare, actually. People of, of on social media also are really talking about the track conditions, how it's not rare for for guys to win the Dirt Track World Championship from flag to flag. It is not a rarity. For this to happen, uh, it's not easy. Uh, but he, he, Garrett Smith definitely had the easiest path to victory of any driver. Let's, let's face that. But also said that Garrett Smith was, you know, the fast qualifier and he won his heat race. And every other, the 67 other drivers at Forsmith had the same opportunity to go out and try to set the fast time and try to win their heat race to try to put himself in that position, which Garrett Smith did. Garrett Smith wasn't handed the pole for the race. He was fast. And that's the other thing is he has shown that kind of speed. And I think we've all mentioned this. He has shown that kind of speed early in the night at a lot of places this year. It's not like that's rare for Garrett Smith to show up somewhere once he kind of got his footing. And once, I guess, when him and Cody really kind of began to click, um, I would say, Bristol later, you know, kind of late spring when they really started to kind of roll. Garrett Smith showed up with a lot of speed early. And I've always thought to myself, why hasn't he maintained it? Uh, why is he, he, he's, he still has a lot to learn, I guess, is what I'm trying to say as far as racing side by side with somebody. And I'm not saying he like intentionally runs over anybody because I don't think he does, but I'm saying he still has a lot to learn when it comes to racing from behind 
uh, it is uh, so much easier to get out front and win one of these races nowadays uh, because it is so difficult to pass. We've discussed that numerous times. So what you have to do is put yourself in that position. You have to be fast qualifying. You have to try to win that heat race or start on the front row. At worst, you know, second row in some of these events. And he did that. So, uh, you know, we can't take anything away from that at all. You know, he did exactly what he had to do to, to put himself in position to win what I consider the third largest race of our sport right now. I'm not counting the million. That's just an anomaly. But what I consider the third largest race in our sport, he won it by putting himself in position to, to have the easiest path to victory. So, uh, you know, that's not... That's not always easy for kind of going back to your first point, Derek. That's not always really easy for a 19-year-old kid to do. Uh, it's not always easy uh, for uh, anybody to do, but uh, but for a 19-year-old kid to have the wherewithal to kind of cool his jets, not get too excited as he, you know, to, to basically absorb the information that, that people have given him, absorb the information that Scott gave him about, you know, not trying to – press the issue in traffic because a lot of times when you're that much faster than a guy, you'll go off into a corner thinking I'm, I'm so much faster than him. Of course, I'm going to roll him on the outside and go by him when track rubbers it is the ultimate equalizer because it really brings those slower cars back to you because you've got one groove and you really can't, you can't make anything work on the outside. So he was really smart. Uh, and to absorb the information, to take it for what it's worth as valuable intel from a person who's been there, to put that in his brain and hang on to it for 30, 45 minutes that it took to, to run that race uh, is, is that's, to me, that's the most impressive part, to not get over anxious when you're, when you're running down traffic and think to yourself, well, they're showing me a pretty good lead. Why would I need to catch that car? That's the biggest thing. You see so many times, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, Kyle's a basketball person. We all are sports people. You know, you're up by 20. Why do you need to take this three? Why do you need to shoot, you know, with five minutes left in the game? You know, run the clock. You're up by 20. And that's kind of like running that traffic in a in a rubber racetrack is. Why why press the issue? You, you've got the race won. Just sit there and ride. And uh, and that's what he did. And uh, so so we can't take anything. You look at the list of, of Dirt Track World Champions, they're bona fide stars, every single one of them. You know, Ricky Thornton Jr. is the only one, and he's just won it last year. So these last two are the only two who aren't really just mega stars in our sport, RTJ and Garrett Smith. You look at the rest of the Dirt Track World Championship winners, they have gone on to become mega stars in our sport. Household names. Where this... Oh, for sure. So where this leads Garrett Smith, I don't know. You can't take it away right now. The fact that, you know, he's your dirt track world championship winner for 2022. Yeah. He'll be, uh, engraved in the history books for a long time coming. Uh, yeah, we were talking to him yesterday, me and turbo and you could just tell me, and he was still on cloud nine and he, like Kyle said, didn't know how to react to some of the questions we're reacting. Cause I still think he's processing it. And, for a guy to travel the road all summer, uh, take some, you know, some punches and keep fighting and fighting to win that, you can just tell he like really took it to heart. So I thought that was very cool. A uh, Kovac though, everything on social media, 
this week, just like PRP just didn't perform, you know, this weekend compared to other races. Uh, what was just your thoughts on the race check? I know the first 40 laps we had some mover and shakers, but it kind of pretty much latched there before the halfway point. It just seems like that might be a common theme that PRP has to deal with uh, the last few years, you know, at least like the last 30 laps. So a lot of people on social media, I talked to some drivers, they said it wasn't very good. Maybe they can bounce back, but I don't know. Does that take anything away from Garrett Smith or maybe it's a big win, but I don't feel like people are getting pumped up about it as much as they should be for how young he is. Well, yeah, it's, it's not, it, it does you know, take a little tinge away there because that track wasn't, it, it just didn't, I mean, even before that race started, it was the excitement. I don't know. I, I didn't feel it. I mean, I was standing there uh, alongside outside of turn four, um, you know, when they were working on the track a little bit uh, before the race, I mean, it was the cars were supposed to go out on the track around eight 30 because that's when the Mav TV broadcast on network TV on the cable TV was going to start. Uh, but they held that up a little bit because I mean, they had to do something with that racetrack. I, I mean, they only ran a couple B mains really in hot laps and before racing and, and the feature was going to go out and that track was dusty and it was, and it was pretty much latched up. Everybody could see it already, you know. I mean, it wasn't going to be a good race. and But there's only so much you could do to a racetrack in, in a little bit of time. They brought a grader out there. They, you know, they, they put the grader down. I mean, it was like that was kicking up dust. I mean, they had the... the the, the greater uh, was was had its had its claws down there, and man, and there's dust popping up out of that. I was surprised there weren't sparks because the track was so hard. And they put a little water. I mean, tried to do something to the bottom, but I mean, that's just Portsmouth is that's. I mean, it's the way it's gonna kind of be, you know. I mean, I think for that race to really be entered, you know, a better, more competitive race with stuff happening, it would have to be a rough track. I, mean, I heard guys saying that. I was standing next to, I think, you know, a, a, you know, Ricky Thornton Jr. was one of the guys. He he was like mentioned talking with some people. Man, he's like, I think the only way this is going to be is if it's rough. Make it rough. Put holes in it, and guys going to bounce around. It's not a place where you could really the outside groove there, the the cushion. It's not really much of a cushion ever. I, every time I've been going there now for once since 2014. Like one and two, there's more of a cushion. Yeah. You can get a you can get a cushion in one and two more than three and four. Three and four, it's been very tough. Lisa, just like videos yeah. and other past dirt track world championships yeah it's, it's it's a cushion but it's not a cushion that you really it's not it's not a, a, a midwest cushion you know where like there's chunks up there and you're throwing chunks up and uh, of mud or whatever i mean they're just there's they're up guys that go to the top they're just throwing up rooster tails i mean it looks like 1920 or something you know like some you know old horse track where like the cars are just throwing these giant rooster tails and and that's not getting grip that's not letting the guy Man, I want to get up there and 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 make it work on the top. And here's here, all you're doing is like in loose little grain granular dirt, you know, and throwing dust up. Uh, that's that's not. I mean, I I you know I've talked about it before. I mean, I want to see. A, I'd like to see cushions up there where a guy can go up there for a few laps and make something happen. Try to be brave, uh, make it exciting. And you can't really do that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's maybe the you know it is it is right next to the river. That place gets flooded almost annually it seems like early in the spring so maybe it's just bringing all that you know that that stuff from the bottom of the the silt and stuff from the river putting it on there and that just maybe that makes it hard to to really you know develop a a good racing surface that uh you know uh, that doesn't have stuff you know that that that's going to let you get some grip without being rubbered up 
Um, uh, but this year it was, it was also a little bit different too. I mean, I said it was, it was sunny. You might want to have a cloudy weekend. I mean, the, the, there's been last year, Friday night's race got rained out. Saturday's race wasn't, wasn't rubbered up right. So early, uh, because of the, um, maybe because it was cloudy and it had rained the night before, maybe it got a little water on it naturally. And, uh, it, there was, there was something lacking though, this year, it was, it was much drier already before the feature even started. Uh, and it was harder on tires too. Last year was the first year that, uh, and I guess, I don't know when, it, when it would have happened again, but all the drivers were saying 14, 25 right rears, usually what wins that race. That's why Brandon Overton for one, put it on his car. And last year, Ricky Thornton won with a 40 on his right rear, but he also, a lot of guys thought, Hey, that's maybe that's just a, you know, an aberration that just is a fluke. It just happened one time. Well, everybody was running 1425s well, was getting a flat, you know, basically. I think Hudson O'Neill might have been the only one that didn't, right? I mean, he had a 1425 and made it, you know, ba and barely. Anybody who made it was going to be barely. That's not the kind of race you want to see there for the $100,000 big race, you know, guys getting flat tires uh, and, and dropping out and just a survival of the fittest at the end. But of course, Garrett Smith, again, he did have a 40 on and he made the, he, he did everything he had to do to stay up there. And again, you just, you're not expecting a 19 year old kid to be able to hold on like that. Yeah. Great storyline. Again, not taking anything away from Garrett Smith just kind of leaves that uh, dark cloud over the event when you know, going into the feature, Hey, we don't know how long this thing's going to last. Then you have people talking about it. We need to move this race, yada, yada, yada. Here, the races have had a lot of lead changes, guys coming from the teens to the 20s to get up there and get the win. So it's nothing, you know. Um, Kyle, any final thoughts from the dirt track before we get to our topic? Anything else that came to mind? Yeah, no, not really. Kevin kind of covered it. You know, I was kind of disappointed. And, you know, not Garrett winning in the storyline there, but just, you know, there was no challenge there for the lead. Actually, there there was, and I should probably mention it now thinking about it. You know, on lap 14, Brandon Overton pulling – alongside Garrett Smith in traffic right before the yellow came out. So, you know, you think about that too. So there was a challenge there for the lead. It's just uh, there was no please stay green there. Uh, um, a caution came out. But, yeah, no, I mean, I hope something gets figured out with that racetrack. I don't know if they need to put new clay down. I don't even think what they have now is clay, honestly. No offense to them, but, you know, it's just dirt. I don't know what's going on there. Something probably has to change, and I hope that they can get it figured out. You know, I mean, it's been a it was a good crowd, but the atmosphere was pretty good. Uh, but for a one hundred thousand to win crown jewel, that's that's the third largest race in our sport. Um, kind of disappointing, and hope they can get it figured out for next year. I just uh, I just wanted to say that um, for anybody that's feeling nostalgic about oh this race this race was so great when it was at Pennsboro, let's don't go there. You know, I mean, I loved <laughs> Pen I, I loved Pennsboro. I loved it for its for the nostalgia. I loved it for the atmosphere, and I loved all that stuff. You know, that first race at Pennsboro, the first Dirt Track World Championship at Pennsboro, that Jim, the late Jim Don, you know, famously won, coming from twenty third. That race had six lead changes. Okay. Well, in the, the next 17 races that were at Pennsboro, the next 17 Dirt Track World Championships that were at Pennsboro, there were only 20 lead changes total in 17 events. So it's not like this race itself has a history from start to finish of being just the best racing that 
we see all year. It, it just honestly, it doesn't have that kind of history. Personally, I I wish that something. I have no clue. I've never been to Portsmouth actually, so I have no clue what the track is like. I have no clue what the surface is like. I, I don't understand uh, why they can't make it work. I don't understand what they need to do to make it work. But uh, but you know, you definitely as a fan, you you want to see. You don't want to see flat tires necessarily determine a race. But also, it's not like the right rear tire was mandated that this is the tire they had to run. It's the driver's choice. And like Kevin said, they they thought, well, the 40 maybe was an anomaly. 40 won it last year, but it's just luck. No, clearly not. You know, it's your choice to put a 40. That's like going to back in the day in the South, you know, used to have two choices. You ran 55s or you could put a 70 on the right rear. And then people complained about blowing out their 55s. Why are you complaining? You had a choice to put a 70 on. Well, the same situation at this deal. You have 1425s or you can put a 40 on. Don't complain if you had a choice to put a 40 on. The winner did. The winner made the right choice. Most everyone else didn't. So that's what that comes down to. Yeah, and Garrett Smith even credited that uh Propel him to a big-time victory at the Dirt Track World Championship. That's in the rearview mirror. Another one in the books. We got still plenty of months of racing left. But our topic today on Monday night, breaking news, uh, Kevin Kovac, Devin Moran, and Ty Torek will split at the end of the season. We don't know over the future for either of those yet quite. But maybe when we record this and this comes out tomorrow, maybe it's something will be in the works already. But... That's not really the main thing I'm kind of seeing here this year. Starting back at uh, Labor Day weekend, I think it was that Friday, the announcement came that uh, Brandon Shepard and Josh Richards were, uh, or not Josh Richards, Brandon Shepard and Mark Richards, excuse me, um, were parting ways, Sheppy going to his own ride, and then right away, Hudson O'Neill's in that ride, and then the dominoes start falling. Then you have this guy leaving this team. Well, we're going to replace him. Josh Richards out in Boom's car. Max Blair in. Tanner English out. He goes the Viper car. Just something we haven't we've seen it a little bit in the past, but most of these announcements don't get you know called out until like December, maybe late November. But the way how dirt track late model racing is going, people are making moves because you start so early now. Uh, maybe you can get a guy to test and tune in November and December at other races once they get their point races done. It's just something we haven't seen quite as often that we are this year, where teams. Halfway through the season, three quarters of the way of the season, announcing, hey, we're splitting up. We're going a different direction, which, A, might be a little awkward for that driver and owner there for those final few races. And, B, it's just something that at least in my last 12 years here, I haven't seen it happens a couple of times, but not as much as we're seeing here in 2022. Yeah, yeah there, there's been some instances. I mean, you can look back last year, Earl Pearson Jr. Uh, with uh, the Black Diamond house car. They split. Um, you know, right around Labor Day weekend, right before the World 100. And then he went immediately and finished the season in the pap with Jason Papich's uh, equipment. Uh, but that, you know, that that was a different story, too, than this year. He didn't continue. They just split with the Black uh, Diamond team. They were done after Labor Day. They didn't con- they didn't finish out the Lucas Oil season. Uh, this year, these teams are, uh, you know, starting with Brandon Shepard in, in the house car, in the Rocket house car. And then you... And going on to Tanner English and Riggs Motorsports and Max Blair with Viper Motorsports. All, all these teams, they're, they're finishing the season out. They come out with a you know good maybe almost two months left in the season, I guess, a month and a half or so at least. 
and say we're we are we're not going to we're not breaking up because we're mad at each other and and want to just cut everything off right now. We're going to go to the end of the season. Usually, never would hear that. You'd, that would always be a thing that would just they'd go to the last race and then it would be like, all right, now we're going to switch and go to the next, you know, go to and move on to next year. Uh, Tanner English kind of told me uh, he had a good point about like why some of the why this is happening. You know, after he's obviously going to be in Viper Motorsports car just a few days after saying that he was leaving, uh, that they were splitting up with Riggs Motorsports. Uh, Tanner said the season is so long. You know, there's a long season. There's not much off season at all. Plus, uh, you know, that supply chain still, you know, getting parts, getting motors and stuff and getting cars. Uh, if there's going to be any changes with a team to team move, that's going to make it even more difficult. You know, hiring crew guys going to make it more difficult to fit in all the work that you need to do all the pieces you need to put together in that little time frame of you know november part of november and december with the nails in december also has the holidays you, that's part of racing people like to actually have a little that's one thing that usually one time a year racing people can actually see family and stuff when because they're not on the road so much on the road so much the rest of the year and then racing starts in january so there's not much time even national tours are starting in January now. So you have, if you're going to be a full-fledged, you know, ready-to-go team uh, from the start of a year with a with new driver, new crew, wherever, you better make sure you have time. And and I and that's what these teams seem like they're recognizing now. I know Brandon Shepard also said when he said he he could have waited till the end of the year and told Rocket uh, Mark Richards that that he was going to leave. He decided, but he said no, that wouldn't even have been fair to him. Because on one hand, uh, he wants Mark to be able to have the whole pick of the litter, you know, of who he wants to drive. He doesn't want to wait till the November when things guys might still have uh, already have plans for next year. And and also with Brandon, he wants to be able to get going on his on his deal uh, so he can start looking to, towards next year. It's it's uh, and this that's that's one of the things about a long season. Now, uh, there's not much off season. There isn't any off season, so you better really be. Uh, if you're with changes happen, you got to get going on them. Yeah, two things, Robert. It's just like the season's just nonstop racing, so you got to make moves. And two, it was just a. I think this year, especially, it was just a dominoes falling so quickly. I mean, you have the top team in the country, arguably the Rocket Blue One. When your driver leaves, they're gonna have to replace somebody. Well, Hudson O'Neill replaces them. A top tier ride like Sellers comes open. And I just think that's part of it, too, that we're seeing these top-tier teams, when they have a, a mix-up or a shuffle, it's going to affect really quickly down below because other people are going to try to fight for those spots or maybe try to put their name in the hat to get that ride. And also, there's just so stinking – there's just so much freaking money in this sport that people and car owners are trying to do what's best for them so they can make the most money at the end of the day. Yeah, I really think that you you kind of hit on a couple of things. I really think that the sport has changed so dramatically over the last decade, but for sure over the last thirty years. You know, all these deals used to be used to be like really who cared who was driving what back thirty years ago. You know, you showed up to a, a race and and we noted it. You know, we took note, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Most of these deals were handshake deals back in the day. You know, most of these deals were just show up and race type things it's just things are so much more business oriented in today's world well it's just like reminding me of when i talked to steve smith how cj rayburn just gave him a car for the million and 
it was like a handshake deal and he got the job done and got second and you know gave some money to cj like i feel like that would never happen anymore so that was just like an example that popped in my head sorry oh no that's good i mean you know cj Abrams was an old school guy you know he was a handshake guy who went out of his way to help so many people uh and i don't know of anybody who i you'd be i think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who had a contract with cj rayburn for sure nowadays you know it's much more business oriented in in terms of the guys got to make sure that they there's so much like you said there's so much money in the sport that a driver wants to make sure that he's taking care of himself and his family that's why you have to have something down on paper at least most of these guys probably do that are racing a national tour and racing for big money because you don't want to go out there and win a hundred thousand dollar to win race and then not know how much money you're going to get and you don't really want it to be just whether or not you're on salary or not whether or not you're on percentage there's so many things to work out so we live in a different time a different era of our sport and this is just kind of the way the business is now so uh, i think that that uh, all these things coming sooner we shouldn't be overly surprised i think we've also grown accustomed to getting a lot of these announcements and a lot of this stuff at pri you know and stuff like that and now we just don't have that kind of time you know now you've got to now you need to be working on your need to have your driver in place so you can be making sure you shore up all your your product sponsorships during pri if you haven't done that already so it's hard to it's hard for a team owner to to shore up those lock down a sponsor lock down the product sponsors you know and there's so many different levels of sponsorship in this sport too everybody wants the mega sponsor of course every you know everybody wants a lance landers type sponsor somebody owns a you know a, a uh mark martin type sponsors and sponsors like that you know that that help big big money if you don't have a driver how are you gonna what are you selling them you can't get that kind of sponsorship you can't get that kind of money so you've got to have your driver in place before you go out shopping for for sponsorship dollars uh and then there's the the other level of sponsorship is the product sponsors product sponsors are so important and not everybody by the way gets their stuff for free uh, a lot of people do. A lot of people get sponsorships like that. A lot of people get discounts. A lot of people get, you know, you buy, you go to PRI and you sign a deal. If you'll buy, you know, 50 wheels from us this year, you know, we'll give you X amount percentage off and it winds up to be in some free wheels, but not 50 free wheels. So there's so many different levels. You've got to have these deals in place to make sure that you get every single thing that you can get. And so I think that's why we're seeing it happen sooner. And fortunately, with all of the, I think with all of the deals that we've talked about here, everything that you've mentioned, there's been a a different level of respect between those parties, mutual respect between those parties to say, hey, this is what's best for both of us at this moment. I'm not trying to put the screws to you. I'm not trying to hang you out to dry either way, either party. And so I think that that goes you know, a long way to saying uh, what good relationships that all of these people who are in the in the mix right now, Tanner English, Max Blair, uh, you look at uh, Devin Moran, Brandon Shepard, all these people, Hudson O'Neill, all these people have built good, healthy relationships with each other and uh, clearly are respected by their previous teams well enough to say, let's do this now. And let's see what's best for both parties. Uh, I think that's 
the respect issue, I think, is says a whole lot between these guys. Yeah, for sure, Robert. I like that last part there about the respect and how it goes around. And like you said, so much money in this sport. I think it's just going to be like, in a way, just like MLB free agency or uh, NFL free agency, like where the money is there, drivers are going to try to do what's best for them and their family. Car owners are going to do what's best for their race team and get their name out there and PR and get some good sponsors. So I think we're going to see like these shuffles happen more often and more quickly than we're used to. So I think that's going to be the kind of the, the new future of dirt late model racing. Kyle, you're kind of this first full year with us. A lot of crazy things going on in the dirt late model world with all these changes. Just what's your thoughts of, I know you follow dirt track racing or dirt late model racing, obviously. And have you seen this much in like the open wheel stuff? Or is this kind of like a thing that's like, man, usually we kind of wait until after the season. Or is this kind of like, you think we're going to see this in other sports as well in the dirt racing stratosphere? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever quite seen over just, uh, the volume that we've seen of high level, like national touring guys, you know, guys that you know we cover on a national basis. I don't think I've seen something quite like this here recently, this back half of the season, where there's just so many just changes and so many just splashy announcements, right? I mean, there's been more than a handful of guys that are in our top 25 poll right now that are moving elsewhere. Parting ways, there's more options right now, too, in our sport. You know, guys, they don't have to necessarily, you know, be on a national tour to make, you know, really good money to make a living for themselves, too. So, you know, I mean, there's there's so many options right now to make either a living in our sport with the right people, with the right sponsors, you know, with the right team, of course. And, um you know, the, I mean, dirt late model racing is 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 far ahead of any other form of dirt racing, in my opinion. Um, I don't even think it's my opinion. I just think it's fact in terms of you know what is available and and just how much money really is in dirt late model racing blows away sprint car racing and blows away. Well, you know, I'm not as well versed in the big block modified world, but you know, you you don't see. The volume of races, obviously, in the big block modifieds doesn't, you know, it's not even comparable to, you know, dirt late models. And no, I just think the the sport has evolved. I mean, it was, it's neat to sit here and just kind of listen to uh, Robert talk about, you know, how, how the business side of things got handled, you know, 30 some years ago, 20 some years ago, you know, and um you know, now too, you know, public relations and just the world of social media and the brands that these drivers carry and teams carry and sponsors carry. I mean, you know, that has to obviously come into consideration too. And so, you know, as the sport, I guess, has become more professional and has become more buttoned up i guess in that sense just sticking to the you know just more professional you know just the image of the sport these drivers and teams i mean just how the sport has evolved in the sense of yeah i mean these you know we're kicking it back up in in january now and so and and there's even more than just the dome race that's in december i mean there's 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 races every month now big races every month and so it's just um it's just times have changed and there really is no off season so if there's going to be a time for it 
time for all these changes, it's going to have to be now, you know, after most of the crown jewels, right? I would imagine you want to get through Eldora and, and most of the summer before coming to grips. If, you know, you're going to stay committed driver team or team or driver, you know, vice versa going in to next year too. We'll have to see if there's going to be any more changes. And if, 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 if this kind of musical chairs, um, sends more reverberations throughout any other teams that might be considering or drivers that might be considering a switch for next year. No, I haven't really quite seen anything like this. And so it is, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And it's, it's also good to know that if a driver isn't comfortable, I guess, or a team isn't comfortable, if somebody isn't comfortable in their current situation, that there is opportunities and there is other options out there in our sport. I think it speaks to the health of our sport too, that there's other opportunities and drivers aren't really limited or teams aren't, you know, limited. It's only one or two or a few options. So let's hope these race teams can uh, stick around for a while. Drivers have opportunities to change and look what's better for them as well as the owners putting their teams together uh, can find different drivers. Obviously we had like, you know, Peyton Freeman joining GR Smith's full force. We're in silly season might be starting a little bit earlier than we're used to Kovac. Before we get to one more thing, you got a bold prediction for us. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Got anything that might, uh, what's a bold prediction Kovacs we're going to see here for silly season may not be correct, but what's just something that you have a gut feeling about coming up. Oh, a bold prediction, huh? Man. Could I say Devin Moran to the Roger Sellers car? I mean, that sounds, I mean, is that, not, is that, that's not pretty bold though. I wouldn't think that's probably not bold. That seems like it's a logical thing since De- well, Devin Moran. If you go on 4M right now, they're it. saying it's going to be Jimmy Owens, Josh Richards, and now maybe Devin Moran. So you got three guys. So if you're, you got a 33% chance of maybe, maybe doing it. We also have other rumors that maybe the Sellers is going to sell his team and not run. So your bold prediction is that you think Devin's going to go there? Yeah, I, I would say that I, it's not, I don't, I don't see Josh Richards going there. Josh Richards is, uh, I mean, he hasn't even, you know, I mean, we tried to contact him. I messaged him last week, you know, to, you know, comment about like what he might be planning haven't heard back from him. So I'm like, I'm not sure what he wants, what, if he, if he wants to race, you know, we have to see that still. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, coming out and making any statements right at this moment. So, and I don't think he would be, and I think, Roger Sellers with uh, with the double down motorsports. I think that's a a deal where the driver is going to be, you know, down there at the team. I don't think Josh is moving down there to Tennessee, Uh, but I I could see Devin Moran definitely doing that, especially right with not with no more Wiley Moran, you know, like uh, his as his right hand man, you know, Wiley's not a full time crew guy now. So I could see definitely Devin kind of leaving his Ohio and and moving down to Tennessee. uh, and, and living down there now to work on that double down car. We'll see what happens. All right, Kovac, with the bold prediction, something might be announced by the time this airs on Wednesday. We're recording, as always, on Tuesday afternoon, so we'll have to wait and see. I like that prediction, Kovac. You just never know. All right, one more thing. Robert, you're batting leadoff. I'm switching the lineup up a little bit, putting you like Aaron Judge when he was trying to get that home run record. We're putting you at the leadoff spot. Big-time player. We're letting you go first. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate appreciate just being here, Derek, as always. Uh, it's just a pleasure for me to, to be here with you guys. Uh, I guess my one more thing is I'm heading to Meridian, Mississippi this weekend for the Fall Classic. 
I don't know if it's, I think it's the, it's still called the Coors Light Fall Classic. And one thing of note about this particular race, well, two things of note about this particular event, uh, two-time and reigning two-time champion, back-to-back winner of this event, Dennis Irv Jr. of Carpentersville, Illinois, will not be in attendance as he uh, is going to out west or wherever, Missouri and Kansas or whatever, with the World of Outlaws to try to wrap up or try to continue his his goal of the World of Outlaws Championship. So um, will Ashton Winger be there? I don't know. You know, you look back at the last four or five winners of this race, you got Dennis Erb, Dennis Erb, Ashton Winger, Devin Rand, Scott Bloomquist. We could definitely see a, a new face, uh, a fresh face down there at, at uh, Meridian, Mississippi. And uh, of note is the format. The format for this particular event is not a two-day 15,000-to-win race anymore. It is uh, still two days, but separate programs, a pair of 25 hundred dollar to win semi features on friday night uh i think it will be split field but don't hold me to that i think it will and then on saturday they'll come back with a twelve thousand to win main event <clears throat> excuse me that is uh that that will uh cap off the weekend so uh, i saw a social media post by chad thrash who's you know uh parents uh charles and janie uh promote this race and have promoted this race for as long as I can remember, maybe forever. Uh, so the thrashes, you know, this is basically their show. And, and I saw social media post by Chad. It said, finally, finally, they've, he's begged them to use this format uh, for the last couple of years. And, and he thinks he's probably maybe perhaps lost his inheritance because they are finally going to use this format. Uh, so, so it's kind of some humor there from Chad, uh, Chad Thrash, who is, you know, a, a super stock competitor and a really good super late model driver from down there as well, who will be in, in competition this weekend. He's been begging his parents to go to this format. They finally are help drivers make a little more money. Another huge weekend for the, the Coors Light. Again, I think it's the Coors Light Fall Classic, one of Mississippi's longest running races. That's where I'll be. New format, Fall Classic, Coors Light, nothing beats that. Head out to Meridian, Mississippi for that fine event. Kyle, how about you? I just wanted to give a shout-out to Joe Gotze, the winner of the Sooner Series race at Enid Speedway in in, uh, Oklahoma this past weekend. He was driving, actually, Hayden Ross's number 66 late model in what I believed was the first race weekend for that team since Hayden passed away three weeks ago in the ATV accident. And so um, that had to be such a, a healing moment there for that family and everybody who, who knew Hayden very closely. And to have seen that on Facebook late Saturday night that um, I knew that Joe was going to be put in that car for some select races this season. I didn't know how soon you know, he would be put in that car, obviously, since everything had happened. And so to see him go out there so soon and, and win that race and in the first race back for that that car in that team, I mean, it uh, doesn't get any better than that. And, you know, just a really healing moment and just a really just cool moment for just everybody involved there. Yeah, whenever there's kind of some crazy stuff, uh, tragedy seen in every 
walks of life, something positive happens out of that. So that was a pretty cool moment there by Joe Gotzi. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Kyle. That was a good one. Uh, Kevin Kovac, how about you, buddy? Look like you're sleepy. A uh, bit. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake here. It's uh, I'm going to head uh, this week. I stay in Pennsylvania to see some racing. Uh, it's the Keystone Classic at Bedford Speedway, a big old half mile uh, fairgrounds tracks, so, you know, a couple an hour, two and a half hours from here. So, but uh, it's a, you know, it's 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 a kind of the same kind of format that that Robert was talking about with the two qualifier races on Friday night and then the uh, the feature on Saturday for twenty two thousand to win. You know, kind of like this. Uh, I, it's I, I like I've gone to the Keystone Classic the last few years and I like their end of the season uh, deal. It's kind of a you know lower price, not a, a crown jewel event or anything. It's uh and it it's not going to get every big name in the country or, or anything like that, but it's uh it will give a chance for uh, these regional guys, mid Atlantic guys to, to get a big money win. And, and that's kind of, that, that's a, I kind of feel that's kind of neat. And usually uh, and you get that fall atmosphere of racing with the two day show there. It's normally pretty chilly at night and, and you hear some, you, see, you smell some campfires going. And that's one of the things I also liked about Portsmouth you smell a lot of campfires there in the, in the in autumn so uh, uh i'm looking forward to going there this weekend it looks like the weather will be good too other it'll be a little chilly but pretty sunny yeah we got 70s here in illinois and i'm sure across like the midwest and headed out to the east uh coast this week so final chance to hit up the racetrack for decent warm weather final chance to go golfing with the boys have a few beers it's uh gonna be the last maybe warm weather weekend we got for the rest of the season my one more thing is just wanted to give a shout out and congratulations to the Hall of Fame class of 2023: Booper Bear, Jackie Boggs, Mike Bolin, Rick Ingersdorf, and Randy Cordy contributors. Contributors: Ozzy Altman, Gary Oliver, and Ernie Elkins. Just uh, they all announce they always announce it Saturday afternoon at PRP at the Dirt Track World Championship. So I uh, just want to congratulate the class of 2023. So that is my one more thing. Guys, we got anything else? Kovac, you got you you good? No, no I'm good. I mean, hey, congrats. yeah, Booper. That's one. Of, I mean, that's uh, that's one of the the great names. Booper Bear, one of the great names in dirt late model racing, right? Uh, congratulations yes. to him. I like to see that he got in there. I can still remember Booper was on when I was just started going to some late model races back in uh uh you know in the '90s, covering some with uh with Ari Auto Racing News. And uh, Booper was one of the guys I remember talking to first guys, and he gave me a T-shirt. I remember that. Good, good. He's a good guy. I like that Booper. So congratulations to him. Great name, Booper Bear, Randy King, Concordia. Great nickname for a driver as well. Congrats to both of them for the class of 2023. Well, guys, uh, thank you for coming on the show. It was a great as always. Talked about Garrett Smith's dominant performance, uh, silly season in full swing. Be sure to check out all these drivers or all these riders stories and blogs. They've been doing great here the past couple weeks. Uh, be sure to check out all the live races that flow this weekend. We got Bedford and a couple other races as well. So keep your browsers locked in to flow racing and dirt on dirt.com until next time. This is the dirt reporters. Thank you for listening.